Okay, well, good evening. Yes, I am back from Alaska. And because it's been three full weeks since I've been in here, I figured the first thing we probably ought to do is uh, review some of the notes of the last lesson, which you do not have a copy of, uh, but the implications of the resurrection on the life of the believer, uh, part one, uh, starts out with what happens when a person believes. Now, this is all under the concept of Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture. He was buried. He rose again the third day according to the Scripture. Within the resurrection, uh, a few things happen, uh, one of them being the sending of the Holy Spirit. That's actually after His ascension. But uh, we took a look at the uh, Old Testament promises of the New Covenant in Jeremiah 31, Ezekiel 11, and Ezekiel 36. Within those passages, we found five things uh, that God had promised. Number one, God will put his law in their minds and write it on their hearts. Uh, He will give them one heart. He will put a new spirit within them. He will take the uh, the stony heart out and put a heart of flesh in and... uh, His purpose, so that they would walk in His statutes and keep His judgments and do them. In other words, He's going to make them a new person. Uh, The second thing that He promised that He would do is He would be their God and they would be His people. The third thing He promised was that He would forgive their iniquity and their sin. He would remember no more. He will sprinkle clean water on them and they'll be clean. He will cleanse them from all their filthiness and from their idols uh, from Ezekiel 36.25. The fourth thing that he promised, he would put his spirit within them and cause them to walk in his statutes, that they would keep his judgments and do them. Uh, and then the fifth thing that he promised in Jeremiah 31, uh, 35-37, is that this promise to make this new covenant with Israel and Judah, the only way it would not happen is if you could measure the foundations of the world and count all of the stars in the heavens. So basically, he's saying this is irrevocable. It's going to happen. Now, he did make that new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Uh, The church is neither, and therefore it is not for the church. And yet, uh, when we believe, there is a few things that happens that are directly related to the New Covenant because we are uh, children of Abraham according to Galatians. Not uh, in the sense of the flesh, as in descendants of his, but because we believed like he believed, we're called sons of Abraham. And also because of Christ, we get to participate in the promises of the New Covenant. Letter, uh, Letter B there, under the New Testament fulfillment, uh, within, the, uh, within believing, what happens? Well, first of all, God gives us a new heart or a spirit, if you will, with the law written on it. And what I've done there is I quoted all kinds of New Testament verses that basically said exactly that. Uh, the second thing, God becomes our God. Uh, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that this evening again, uh, but... Before he was God, we were far off, we were enemies, and now he is our Heavenly Father. He is Abba Father, Daddy Father, if you will, and he is our God. Uh, The third thing that uh, he promised in the New Covenant, which we get to participate in, is our sins are cleansed and forgiven. And again, all kinds of New Testament verses proving that point. The fourth thing, the Holy Spirit indwells us promised by Christ before the church began, fulfilled in Acts chapter 2, and then how that whole thing works out uh, throughout the New Testament. And then the fifth thing, you might remember it was irrevocable uh, as far as you had to measure the foundation of the world or count the number of stars in the heavens. This is what we call the doctrine of the security of the believer, and is based on the finished work of Christ, and we are spiritually baptized into the body of Christ and sealed there until the day of redemption. So though God has not made the new covenant with the church, the church is participating in all of the blessings 
uh, because of the blessings of Abraham uh, put upon us. So that brings us to the implications of the resurrection on the life of the believer, part two. So uh, last uh, time we were together, we had one page. I do have a page and a third. I'm not sure we're going to get through it all uh, because I'd like to spend a little bit of time on how the blessings of Abraham free us. Uh, You'll notice in your notes, uh, number one, being a new man. And with that in mind, uh, let's take a little bit of uh, a moment and pray. Fathers, we come this evening. Uh, this is all very good, important material, and it's not because I think so. It's because your word teaches it over and over and over again, and yet we seem to not understand it uh, well. So I would ask, Father, that you would open our hearts and our minds to the things that you have for us, and that we would uh, learn to appropriate uh, the truths that are in your word so that we might live in a way that's honoring and pleasing to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. So number one, being a new man. This would uh, refer to the new heart or the new spirit with the law written on it. Uh, Are we sinners saved by grace? Uh, Good old song that I believe it was, uh, it's not the cathedrals. It's uh, another group that uh, sang that song. Um, and, And we can make the argument that the further Paul walked with the Lord, the more he recognized his own wretchedness. Where in uh, Second Timothy, he goes, Christ died for sinful men, among whom I am chief. I would say that that is a mature understanding of what we're like in this body, in the sense that we have the law of sin still written in our members. And uh, the more you walk with God, the more you recognize how much you actually fall short. Um, So yeah, someone is a sinner, and yes, they're saved by grace, but when they're saved by grace, they're no longer identified with their sin. They're identified with Jesus Christ because of the concept of what God does when a person believes. So let's take a a look at that for a little bit. First of all, uh, we see letter A, crucifixion, letter B, resurrection. Well, in Romans chapter 6, and if you want to turn there, uh, go ahead. Romans chapter 6, we see in the first few verses that we are crucified with Christ. Uh, We're uh, through baptism. Let me see here. Okay. Uh, Verse 3. Are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we're buried with him uh, by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in a new way of life. For if we have been joined with him in the likeness of his death, we will certainly also be in the likeness of his resurrection." Uh, Verse 6, For we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that sin's dominion over the body may be abolished so that we uh, we may no longer be enslaved to sin. Since a person has died, is freed from sin's claims. Now, within verses 6 and 7 here, we see that we're no longer enslaved to sin and we're freed from sin's claims. If a person truly believes, God identifies us with the death of Christ so that the concept of us being a sinner is no longer true because that part of us is dead. Now, we're not talking about the influence that the law of sin still has on us after we're saved. What we're talking about is sin is no longer our master. Before you're saved, you're dead in sins and trespasses. And when sin says, got to do this, we do it. After we're saved, that part of us where we have to obey, it's a legal term that says, no, you don't. You don't have to anymore. Uh, in uh, Galatians two nineteen and 20, he says, for through the law... The law, uh, for through the law, uh, excuse me, for I through the law died to the law that I might live to God. Now, notice 
What has happened in this death? I'm dead to the law, but for what purpose? So that I might live unto God. Uh, again, this kind of blows away the concept of, whew, I get to go to heaven when I die. No. Salvation really has everything to do with how you're going to live after you're saved. Okay? It goes on, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I, as in the old man, who live, but Christ lives in me, and the life that I now live in this body, in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So the new creation, if you will, uh, is because of the new man that God has put in us. Now notice uh, number two under crucifixion. We just talked about the death. Number two is freedom from the old master. In John 8.32, he says, For you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Of course, unfortunately, in talking to the people that he was talking to, they immediately responded, We've never been slaves to anyone, even though they were under slavery to the Roman Empire at the time. Uh, it uh, was a pretty good argument that ended up with Jesus saying that they were sons of their father, the devil. So they definitely didn't get the freedom concept. Um, Romans 6.18 says, And having been freed or liberated from sin, you became enslaved to righteousness. So notice, we are freed from the old master, but not for the purpose of just being free, now we're slaves to a new master. That new master is righteousness, or if you will, God. Uh, 1 Corinthians 7.22, for he who called, uh, who, excuse me, for he who is called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freedman. Likewise, he who is called while free is Christ's slave. Now, in this particular case, here we are dealing with a 90% slavery population, and if a slave were to be uh, saved, then he is free in his heart to live unto God, and part of that is going to be the best slave that he can be. It doesn't change his external circumstances, but he's free. But notice, the one who is called while free... He doesn't just get to go off and do whatever he wants to do until he dies and then he gets to go to heaven. He is the Christ slave. So we see the transference of uh, masters. But we're freed from the old master. And then Galatians 5.1, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. Now, in, in Galatians' particular perspective, uh, there were those who were trying to get people to be circumcised, to place themselves under the law again. And Paul was saying, in order to do that, you will have fallen from grace. Uh, you will have to fulfill the whole law, not just the one point. And uh, he's saying, don't do that. Be free and uh, remain free. Uh, stand fast in that freedom. And don't get entangled again in those things that would uh, make you slaves to something other than Christ. So that's the crucifixion. What about the resurrection? Well, in John 3, Nicodemus shows up and says, hey, we know that you're uh, a man of God because no one could do this unless God was with him. And Jesus says, you must be born again. Well, what on earth does that mean? Well, uh, we find in uh, a few scriptures here that in the concept of being born again is we're given that new heart, that new spirit. We're a new creature. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if anyone is in Christ, that is a phrase that is directly related to the baptism of the Spirit where we're placed into the body of Christ and sealed into the day of redemption. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old is gone. Behold, everything is becoming new. Now, uh, Jeff and I were just talking about uh, translations a few moments ago. Uh, while we were up in Alaska, 
One of the Assembly of God representatives showed up at the church. Apparently he had been sick, hadn't been around for a month, and so Wayne gave him the pulpit. And this guy, definitely Assembly of God. That's not to say anything bad, that's just to understand he's, he's over there, and he was talking about Christ did not die willingly for our sins. Kind of like, what? You know, and he was trying to make a point that Christ in obedience did what he did. Don't have a problem with the point. His text was in John where he's in the Garden of Gethsemane and he says, Lord, if there's any way that this cup can pass from me, please let it, but not my will, your will be done. So he wasn't willing to die is what he said. It's kind of like, now the concept of will there is desire. I don't want to do this, but I will if, you, if this is what you say, okay? Um, which is the same concept that uh, all of us are expected to live out. If anyone's going to follow me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Uh, so, but, but he went on to say that my Bible had errors in it. Uh, mine is the Holman Christian Standard. It's a little bit different than the New King James. Uh, some of the words, as I've done my research and studies, uh, actually do a better job of explaining than the King James or the New King James. Uh, most of it is identical. But he po- pointed out one verse where Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. You know what mine says? He came to seek and to save the lost. Now, the way Greek works, that's probably a translation of the Greek. And you put in that which was or ones after lost. He came to seek and to save the lost ones or the lost things. That would be a, a, and very often in the New King James, depending on uh, who printed it, they'll have those words in italics. The italics means this really isn't in the text But to make it make sense, we put it in there. Okay, not a problem. But because mine didn't say that which was, mine was in error. It's kind of like, okay. (laughs) You know, that's how those things work. But when we uh, look at the new creature, if any man uh, is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old is gone. Behold, all things are becoming new. Some versions say all things are new. Well, the reality is, is they are new, but our Christian life is a life of becoming. Uh, If you've been a part of the Complete Green Letter study on Wednesday night, uh, you've seen where the concept of appropriation, where we learn a biblical fact and uh, we're convicted that this is something that needs to be a part of our life. And then we sit there and say, okay, God, I want to do that. And then it takes years to actually learn how to appropriate that grace in your life. Uh, Pastor, uh, well, this past Wednesday, we had the one on rest, and that was a little bit of a difficulty for uh, people. And Pastor and I talked about it afterwards. I'm not sure if he mentioned it this morning. I was over at Blues Creek. Uh, But did the author anywhere say that you could not ask God for help? No, he, he never said you couldn't. He said, we need to learn to stop asking for something that God has already given us. So if you're asking for help, what does that say about you? You don't understand what God has given you, or you don't believe that what he said he's given you, he's actually given you. So you could ask for help, but it actually just shows where you are in your walk at the moment. You you see what I'm saying? So it's not that you can't ask for help, but most of the time we're asking for things that God have, uh, God's already said, I gave you this in Christ. Now all you have to do is appropriate it. How long does it take to appropriate things? Sometimes years. And so with that in mind, in the meantime, we're probably going to be saying, oh God, help me. Instead of understanding, I just need to do what God said to do instead of worrying about whether or not I can do. 
So uh, that's the concept here. Everything is becoming uh, new. In Ephesians 4.24, talking about the new creation, it says, put on the new man. Now, it's interesting because Paul is making the argument here that you're to put off the old man, which we already saw in Romans chapter 6. The old man was put off when you got saved. You were baptized by the Spirit of God into the body of Christ, associated with Christ. Therefore, when Christ died, you died. And then you were buried, and then you rose again to walk in newness of life. The old man is not an issue. Some of the newer translations say, put off the conduct of the old man in verse 22. Then it says, how are you going to do it? In verse 23, it says, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Like Romans 12, don't be conformed to the images of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you might prove what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. So it's same concept. And here it's saying, put on the new man. The reality is, as soon as you got saved, you did put on the new man. But listen to the description of the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Now, got to ask you, this new man, he's created after God or like God in true righteousness and holiness. Uh, one of the verses we read earlier uh, was uh, uh, Christ in you. He lives in you. Okay. Um, this new man may be the fact that Christ is in you. It may be something else, the new creation. I haven't figured that one out yet. Uh, what I can say is this new man is just like God. Oh. The old man, obviously not like God. But see, the old was crucified, and now I'm a new creature. Old's gone. I'm no longer attached to that. Now, living that out, that's another story altogether. But legally, I don't have to listen to that guy anymore. So the new man is created after God in true righteousness and holiness. Colossians 3.10, And have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Now, uh, one of the reasons why I don't think the new man is Christ in you, though Christ does dwell in you, is because here the new man has been created by God. Jesus was not created by God. And then 1 John 3, 9, whoever has been born of God does not sin. And, and the idea is present active indicative. He doesn't sin as a way of life. This isn't his normal uh, life. Uh, it goes on to say, for his seed remains in him. Huh? <laughs> the new man is created after God in true righteousness and holiness. This is God's seed in you. Okay, and it goes on to say, and he, the person, cannot sin, or that seed cannot sin, because he has been born of God. Can't sin as a way of life. Doesn't mean we can't sin. Obviously, Romans chapter 7, the things I want to do, those are the things I don't do, etc. But as a way of life, nope, can't do it. So we see then we're born again, we're new creatures, but we're, uh, all of that serves a purpose. Number two, we are free to serve a new master. In 1 Peter 2, 16, it says, as free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bond servants of God. Now, I don't know about you, but I love the fact that we've already hit at least three times by two different writers the concept that we were saved for a purpose. That purpose was not to go to heaven. It was to live for God here on earth uh, while we're still alive. Okay? Uh, that brings us to the new relationship. God is our God and Father. Now, each of the verses that I have listed there, Galatians 1, 4, Philippians 4, 20, 1 Thessalonians 1, 3, 3, 11, 2 Thessalonians 2, 16, James 3, 9, each call God our God and Father. Okay? Um, now, when we talk about Father, <coughs> excuse me, um, recently read, Two chapters from Eric Metaxas' book, uh, Letter to the American Church. 
And uh, he starts out the first chapter dealing with how could Dietrich Bonhoeffer align himself with a group of men who decided they needed to assassinate Hitler and his top lieutenants. And as Christians, we might ask the same question. The church of that day definitely did. And of course, they had taken on a belief system that basically, thou shalt not kill meant, as a Christian, you could never do something like that. Well, Dietrich Bonhoeffer had come to a conclusion that they weren't right. Now, we might think, well, he's a little off on, you know, off in la-la land. But the reality is, is he realized that who, does, who do we say God is? And that brings us to the second chapter, which basically deals with the parable of the talents, where one uh, servant is given some talents, the second is given some talents, and the third is given uh, one or something like that. And when they give a report as to how they did it, the first two, they invested their talents, they made more talents, and uh, they gave it back to their master. The third one said, Lord, I knew you were a harsh taskmaster. And so uh, I knew that you would get interest even though you didn't, you would reap even though you didn't sow. So I wrapped my talent up in a, in a handkerchief and I buried it in the ground. So here it is, you can have it back. Huh. They each acted according to who they believed their master was. Oh. One of the things that he points out in the book is that it is a shame when people who are not Christians are speaking against things that Christians should be speaking against. Now, I know most by now most of you have probably heard of the movie The Sound of Freedom with Jim Caviezel. I don't know how many times people have told me Jim's a good Christian man, and he may very well be, but he's also a Catholic. That doesn't mean he's not a Christian, but... Uh, kind of struggled there a little bit in the sense that is he a believer in Jesus? Sure is. Is he doing good works to hopefully please God? I don't know. God knows. Same with Mel Gibson. Mel Gibson is a good Catholic guy. A few other uh, stars. And they hold relatively conservative views. But obviously Jim and Mel have decided they need to speak out against child sex trafficking. So they've made this movie uh, about Tim Ballard, a Navy SEAL, who has actually been involved in saving more kids than the movie makes it out to be. Uh, interview with Tim Ballard, he said, we actually took some of the numbers and lessened them for the movie because we thought if we actually told you how many people we were saving, they would think, ah, this isn't true. Uh, in one particular raid, in the movie, I think they saved like 54 kids. It was actually like 138. And they lowered it to 54 just because they didn't want to make it grandiose and all that kind of stuff. But as far as I know, these people are not born-again believers. And yet they're speaking out against something. Now, do we all believe that child sex trafficking is wrong? With certainty. What are we doing about it? I'll be honest with you. Uh... As one guy says in the book, Lord, we don't know what to do. Show us. And I had to immediately pray that prayer because there's an awful lot of evil going on in this country right now. The, the transgender issue where they're mutilating children. What on earth? That's not just crazy, that's demonic. And we need to be speaking out against it however we can. Um, that, that doesn't mean we don't love the person that has been deluded into thinking that they're a gender other than the one that they are. And it doesn't mean we got to buy into the social construct issue. Uh, it's interesting that whenever one of these people wants to get the surgery, they only go to the other gender. There's not 86 other choices. Um, just saying. Uh, but uh, 
we need to we need to learn how and ask God to show us how can we not only speak out against it is is it a place where maybe we need to be sending money uh, and again I, I still need to give to the church but uh, hey if God touches your heart in that direction I say uh, go for it uh, we're already heavily involved with mosaic been with uh, them for years that's a good thing for us to be involved in and so uh, but why because uh, we're in a relationship with God. He is our Father. And who do we believe that He is? Is He the harsh taskmaster, or is He loving and gracious and merciful? And therefore, how will we live under those circumstances? That brings us to number three. We have a new standing with God. Um, our sins are cleansed and forgiven. Let me, let me read a few verses here for you. Uh, Romans 4, 7. Uh, one more. There we go. It's amazing. One page. Uh, How joyful are those whose lawless acts are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Uh, Philippians 4, 20. Oh, uh, excuse me. I missed one. Uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 11. And such were some of you, but you were washed but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Colossians 2.13, And you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven all your trespasses. Uh, Hebrews 10.22, Let us draw near with a true heart of full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with uh, pure water. Uh, so our sins are cleansed, they're forgiven. We now have a new standing. We're associated with Christ. What did God the Father say about Christ? This is my, catch these words, beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Now, think about that for a minute. Do you think of yourself as a beloved child of God? That's what God says about His Son. We're identified with His Son. So that's what God thinks about you. Uh, Ephesians 1.6 says, To the praise of the glory of His grace, whereby He has made us accepted in the Beloved. So he looks at us, he sees Christ, and he says, I love you so much, I fully accept you. And we sit there and say, yeah, I know you say that, but I've done these things. Yeah, it's all forgiven. It can't be that simple. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. And uh, somewhere in the rush, we have to believe what God says. So that's the new standing. And then, of course, number four, a new power. The Holy Spirit indwelling us is a big deal. I know I said this uh, when we talked about the promise, but turn with me to, I'm going to start in Romans chapter 7, and I recognize we're not going to get through all the notes tonight, and I'm probably going to expand the notes for next week. But in Romans chapter 7, in verses 1 to 6, he basically repeats the concepts found in chapter 6, where he deals with, let me just read it real quick. Uh, Since I am speaking to those who understand the law, brothers, you are unaware, are you unaware that the law has authority over someone as long as he lives? Now, what happened to us? Go back to the first part of the notes. What happened to us? We were crucified with Christ. So the law has no authority over us anymore because we died. We were raised again. Goes on to say, A married woman is legally bound to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law regarding the husband. You know, the old covenant, until death do us part. Once the spouse passes, the person is free from that covenant. Now that may mean they stay single. That may mean they get remarried. It is okay. They are free from their covenant. It goes on to say, verse 3, 
So then, if she gives herself to another man while her husband is living, she will be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law. Then if she gives herself to another man, she is not an adulteress. Now, that's just a a simple A plus B equals C. We understand that. Let's move on. Therefore, my brothers, you also were put to death in relation to the law through the crucified body of the Messiah, so that you may belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we may bear fruit for God. One of the points that Pastor made in our discussion this past week, since Wednesday, yes, we did talk about rest a few times. (coughs) Excuse me. We, as a people, are event and uh, product-oriented event. When did you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? We want to know the date. You know? Um, Sanctification. We want it to be an event where I'm just no longer going to have a problem with that issue anymore. Fruit. Well, you're supposed to be loving. Here's what I find in a lot of people in the church. You know, I have to love you. I don't have to like you. (laughs) And it's kind of like, no, I'm, I'm sorry, that doesn't work for me. If I have to love you, I am doing what's best for you without regard to the cost to me. I know there are people that I don't care for as much as other people, but I'm required to love, which doesn't allow me to not like per se. Now, they may not be within my circle of influence or uh, that kind of thing, but the reality is, is you've got to love everybody. Now, how hard is that? I know for some of y'all, loving me is not an easy thing, okay? That's why God put the Holy Spirit in you, so that he would pour out his love in your heart, so that regardless of what you think, you'll love me anyway. Isn't that how it works? Okay? Which means, of course, you need the power of the Spirit to love me. Okay. Uh, so with that in mind, um, he, he's basically saying that we weren't... Uh, oh, he goes on to say that we may bear fruit to God. Uh, the, the, notice the fruit of the Spirit. It is not you take on new attitudes towards people because you have to. It is you learn how to walk in the Spirit and you will experience love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, gentleness, meekness, temperance. Against such, there is no law. I probably forgot one or two of them in there because I know there's like nine facets and I can never remember them all. But that's something that the Spirit bears through you. It's not something you produce, okay? And it sometimes takes time. Uh, In uh, Psalm chapter 1, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, verse 2. And in his law he meditates day and night. And then what's going to happen? He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth his fruit in his season. We want our kids to make a decision for Jesus and start acting like Christians yesterday. It doesn't work that way. Now, they they may make decisions to trust Christ when they're kids, and as they grow, they may not believe that maybe it was done right or something like that. They might get bitter about something and go off the deep end for a little while, and then somewhere in the rush, they might come back to Christ. Maybe they'll be coming to Christ for the first time in reality. Maybe they'll be coming back to Christ, but the reality is, is if they learn to walk with him, they're going to bear fruit in their season, not when mom and dad think they ought to. Just like men are going to bear fruit in their season, not when their wife thinks they ought to. My wife is still learning that lesson. (laughs) Okay, Uh, he goes on here. Uh, Verse 5, for when we were in the flesh, when we were dead in our sins and trespasses, the sinful passions operated through the law in every part of us and bore fruit uh, for death. But now we have been released from the law since we have died to what held us so that we may serve in a new way of the Spirit and not in the old letter of the law. So verses 5 and 6, he's going to go back and show how the law worked on him before he was saved in verses 7 through uh, 12. 
Um, excuse me, what should we say then? Is the law sin? Absolutely not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin if it were not for the law. For example, I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, do not covet. And sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me coveting of every kind. Now, what's he saying? He's saying that here I am living life. And then somewhere in the rush, I learn what the law says. Thou shalt not covet. All of a sudden, I realize, because the law said, don't, my flesh said, (laughs) and started coveting all over the place. He goes on to say, verse 9, for once... I was alive apart from the law. But when the commandment came, sin sprang to life, and I died. Now, I would argue the fact that he was not alive. He was dead in his sins and trespasses, just like we were before we got saved. But what did he think about himself at that moment? At that moment, he believed he and God were fine. And then the law says, thou shalt not covet. All of a sudden, he realizes he's coveting all over the place, at which point he acknowledges, I'm dead in my sin. He says, I died, but it's the idea that uh, he's recognizing what was really true about him. It goes on in verse 10, the commandment that was meant for life resulted in death for me. Now, how could the law or the commandment uh, produce life? If you could keep the law 100% all the time, you could have life. Problem. You were born a sinner, so you're already out of the picture, aren't you? Okay? He goes on in verse uh, 11, For sin seizing an opportunity through the commandment deceived me, and through it killed me. So then the law is holy, the commandment is holy and just and good. Therefore... Did what is good cause my death? Absolutely not. In other words, the law didn't kill me. It was, on the contrary, he goes on, sin, in order to be recognized as sin, was producing death in me through what is good, so that through the commandment, sin might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am made out of flesh, sold into sin's power. Now, personally, I believe that uh, Paul is referring to his pre-salvation life. There are disagreements on this, but I think it makes sense as we go through this that he's, he's reiterating uh, Romans 7, 5 to 6 in his personal testimony. But now we're going to move on to now that he's saved. Notice uh, verse 15. For I do not understand what I am doing because I do not practice what I want to do, but I do what I hate. Now, Does an unbeliever hate the sin that he's involved in? Some may come to a point where they recognize they have a problem, and they may kind of hate having the problem. I don't know that they hate the sin. My dad was a drunk. Did he recognize that he had an issue? Well, when you lose jobs, you lose kids, uh, you can't keep a job, I'm sure somewhere in the rush you realize there's a problem. Would he have ever admitted that he had a problem? I can quit anytime I want. That's the kind of thing that would be said. Then why not? Because I don't want to. Why not? Because I love my sin. I don't like the results it gives me, but I love my sin. That's the life of an unbeliever. Now, when you become a believer, how do you feel about your sin? Well, in James chapter 1, verses 13, let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, because God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own desire. Oh, so as Christians, sometimes we still like our sin, huh? And then how do we feel about it afterwards? Guilt, shame, depression, tears sometimes. God, deliver me from me. See, we don't like what we do. We may like the doing, but we don't like who we are at that moment. 
It's more than just the problems that it brings. Though, consider our prayer life sometimes. You know, I pray more for my kids now than I ever did when they were growing up. You know, because you, you have this delusional sovereignty going on where I can teach them, I can train them, I can, yeah. <laughs> you realize that that didn't work so well. But, um, you know, I, I pray for them a lot. And it's kind of like, Lord, guide them like you've guided me into a deeper relationship with you so that you can point out the things that are necessary because, well, they're adults now. They've got their own families. I'm not the boss anymore. And though I probably have more to offer them now than I did when they were growing up, I have to respect those boundaries in the sense of if they ask, they're going to get an earful. (laughs) But I'm not going to jump on them like I'm their dad because they're adults. They have their own families. They've got to figure some of these things out. So I pray for them that way. Uh, I think sometimes, even in praying for our kids, we might be asking for things that God has already said he's going to do, but uh, I sure do hope he gets on with it, right? (laughs) Excuse me. So it goes on. Um, Verse 15, I I don't understand what I'm doing. I do not practice what I want to do, but what I do I do what I hate. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree with the law that it is good. I'm in agreement with the law. Thou shalt not uh, murder. You shouldn't murder. That That is 100% right. And then I'm at work and my boss, he's a real, mm, and I just hate him. And what did Jesus say? Hate was equal to being angry with your brother without a cause is equal to murder. Oh, Lord, I don't want to hate these people that pull in front of me and do 30 miles an hour in a 45-mile-an-hour zone. Give me grace, Lord. (laughs) It's that kind of a thing. So he's in agreement with the law. What he's doing is wrong. Um, The law is good. Verse 17, so now I am no longer the one doing it. Uh, I like that, you know. We can blame somebody else for the sin that we commit. No, his point is, I am a new creature. I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, the old me, I, the new me. That part of me recognizes that's wrong. I don't want to do it. It's not the new creature that is sinning. He goes on to say, So now I am no longer the one doing it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that nothing good lives in me that is in this body, in my flesh. For the desire to do what is good is with me, but there's no ability to do it. Now now catch this. The new creature living in the body that's been corrupted by sin has no power to overcome sin in this body in and of itself. Now, the reason why that's important is we think we can be good for God. And we can't. He's the vine, we're the branches. The branch doesn't bear fruit of itself. It's only bearing fruit as it's connected to the vine and the life-giving juices are coming from the vine to bear fruit. So here we are, a new creature attached to Christ spiritually, but we still live in this body. And this body is under the influences of all that it's being bombarded with day in and day out, especially as we watch TV, listen to the radio, uh, it's, uh, so on and so on and so forth. And uh, we wonder sometimes why we have our failures, and it might be because we're listening to the wrong things. Uh, but it go- he goes on, verse 19, for I do not do the good that I want to do, but I practice the evil that I do not want to do. Now, if I do what I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it, the new creature, but it is sin that lives in me. So I discover this principle, maybe your Bible says law, and that's a good word there. When I want to do what is good, evil is with me, for in my inner self I joyfully agree with God's law. As a new creature, I'm totally on the same page with God, right? 
but I see a different law in the parts of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and taking me prisoner to the law of sin in the parts of my body. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this dying body or this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, here's the conclusion. With my mind, as a new creature, I myself am a slave to the law of God. But here I am saved, living in this body. And he goes on to say, and with my flesh, I'm a slave to the law of sin. Now, wait a minute. I thought we were freed. Yeah, we, the new creature, are free. But we still live in this body. This body is influenced day in, day out. Uh, Who runs the world? Now, that is not the lead line to a song in perfect pitch. Okay? Uh, If you haven't seen perfect pitch, that's one of the songs I sing. Who runs the world? Girls. Uh, It's kind of like, no, I don't think so. Um, Who runs the world? Satan is the prince of the power of the air. All that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, those are the three areas that Satan is constantly working on. Watch a little bit of TV. Look at not only the stories that are on the programs, but uh, the advertisements. They're all meant to make you think, if you have this particular watch, this particular car, somehow you're going to be a better person. Or, hey, if you had that kind of body, then you would attract all the other ones that have those kinds of bodies. Whoa! Or, hey, you got to look at these shoes. They are sleek. They are sexy. Look out! Okay? That's what is, you're being bombarded with, even if you don't watch TV. If you listen to the radio, you're bombarded with, still, now I, I don't remember, but it wasn't too long ago, still hearing advertisements about the need to be vaccinated. And again, don't know how long ago it was, but I don't think it was more than a month and a half, two months ago. It's kind of like we're, we're still pushing this fear thing. Be afraid. You could die, and you don't want to give anybody else. Oh, be quiet. Uh, we're bombarded with this stuff, and our body, our mind that's still somewhat corrupted because it's got to be renewed through the Word of God, through the Holy Spirit, uh, we, we take all this in, and then we're weakened in the battle Now, do we have to fall? No, we don't. But he ends this chapter recognizing that as long as I'm in this body, this is going to be a battle. And that's why Romans 8.1 is so important to us. He says, There is therefore now no condemnation for them that are in Christ Jesus. Now, uh, some of your Bibles are going to say that of those who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit... Uh, the explanation there is we have a scribal error. They look up, they see the script, they look down, they write, and then they look up, and they look down, they look up, they look down. If you look in the wrong place, you're going to see the wrong part. Go to verse 4 of chapter 8 with me. In order that the law's requirements would be accomplished in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now, if you do a little bit of a study in Romans chapter 8, and we're going to have to uh, do that next week probably, you're going to see that those who walk according to the flesh are unsaved. Those who walk according to the Spirit are saved people. So if the new King James, the King James was right, it would be saying there's no condemnation for them that are in Christ Jesus. In other words, they're saved who are not, not saved, but they're saved. That's ultimately what he'd be saying, which is kind of repetitive and, uh, yeah, it's not necessary. So basically, there is no condemnation for them that are in Christ Jesus. Now, uh, we are on the section, uh, a new power. We actually have to get into Romans chapter 8 to discover that new power. You'll notice I have Romans 8, 10 to 13. Let me give you a quick overview just so we can come back uh, next week and start in Romans chapter 8. But in verses 10 through 13, it says, Now, if Christ is in you, okay, what is he saying? 
if you're saved. That's what he's saying. Okay? It goes on to say, now if Christ is in you, the body, this, is dead because of sin. What? Well, remember what chapter 7 said about the body? It's got the law of sin in it. It, the, the new creature cannot overcome the body in and of itself. The body is dead. The body is incapable of doing anything that's pleasing to God because of the law of sin in it. But he goes on, thankfully. Verse 11. Uh, no, no uh, he goes on to say, because, uh, because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. Kind of like, huh? Well, if the body is dead and the spirit is life, then where should our uh, priorities be? Ought to be on the spirit, right? Notice in verse 11, he says, and if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. Now, in verse 9, we've already been told that if you don't have the spirit, you're not saved. We've already established in verse 10 that if Christ is in you, that means you're saved. So he's saying, if the spirit of him who uh, raised Jesus from the dead, so the spirit of God raised Jesus from the dead, he lives in you. We know that's the case from verse 9. Then he who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through his spirit who lives in you. Now, the reason why this is important is if you can't do anything that's pleasing to God, even though you're saved, you're a new creature, but because of the law of sin in you, you're incapable of doing things that are pleasing to God. He's saying if the Spirit of God dwells in you, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is now yours so that it gives life or the ability to please God while you're still in this body. Okay, it goes on, verse 12. Uh, so then, brothers... We are not obligated to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you're going to die. Now, I don't know if anybody knows Christians who have, let's say, died, what we might say, prematurely. I uh, know a young couple down in Arkansas. When I lived down there, I was working at Tyson Chicken Plant. Young lady, had three children, and I think she was 19 at the time, married to a guy. He might have been 20. And, uh, well, you're married relatively young because sexual immorality outside of marriage and all that kind of stuff. You get married. Uh, they got a couple more kids. And then all of a sudden, he's disinterested. And he finds somebody else that he's interested with. She goes and talks to the pastor and says, hey, can you talk to my husband? He's cheating on me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So one day she shows up to church. She sits down with the kids. He shows up to church. He hadn't been there in a little while. And he's got his girlfriend with him. And she, they sit right in front of the wife and kids. Now, the leadership of the church knew about the situation. And he goes, hey, it's so good to see brother so-and-so here. Two weeks later, he had jacked up his car to work on it in such a way that it couldn't fall. And Jeff laughed because it fell. And he died. Uh, both James and 1 John talk about a sin unto death. Whole point being is, if the church wouldn't perform church discipline, and the wife had asked the church to help, uh, this guy didn't repent, and God took him. Now, personally, I believe that's a good sign that he was born again. Okay? Uh, but, so in, in verse 13 here, um, for if you live according to the flesh, you're going to die. A as a Christian, you just can't do that. God can ultimately take people out of this world uh, because they're not living the way they ought to. But he goes on to say, but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And And, and we're... Look, we're already alive, right? Um, we exist in this body that is still affected by uh, uh, sin, but we have eternal life. I think there was a message on that here recently. Uh, <laughs> <coughs> eternal life isn't something we're going to get someday when we die. We have it now. Christ said that I came that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. 
And, and the idea here is if by the power of the Spirit you're putting off the old and putting on the new, you're going to experience abundant life. Not just uh, someday when you die you get to go to heaven. Okay? So there's, there's a new power, and we'll talk a little bit more about that next week. I didn't think I was going to get very far on these notes uh, just because I really want us to uh, grasp some of these uh, truths that are true about us if you're a believer because of the resurrection. It's directly tied to that. Now, obviously, Christ not only rose again, but he ascended into heaven, sat at the right hand of the Father, sent the Spirit. But if he had just died, none of that would have happened. And of course, if he wasn't resurrected, as Paul said, we of all people would be without hope. So there is hope. Why? Because we're new creatures. The old is dead. The new is becoming for us. Uh, we have a new relationship. We have a new power. And uh, we'll uh, see a little bit more about that next week. Well, let's close in prayer and uh, we'll let you go. Uh, Rich, I believe, is going to be teaching on Wednesday night on chapters 17 and 18. Am I correct on that? I think I am. I'm pretty sure it's 17 and 18, but it'll be on the community page if you're not sure. So let's pray. Father, we thank you. Uh, thank you for what you've done, making us new uh, in Christ, uh, identifying us not only with his death, but with his burial, his resurrection, uh, so that we might walk in newness of life, so that we might become slaves of righteousness, so that we might be freed from the old. Uh, I, I recognize, Lord, that the understanding of that freedom is lacking in so many. I, I know it was lacking in my life for so many years. I do ask, Father, that you would open the eyes of your children. They might recognize the freedom that they have in Christ, that they might learn to walk in that freedom, that they might be strengthened spiritually so that they can actually participate in uh, the blessings of that freedom and honor and glorify you in the process. Uh, give us wisdom and grace for the things that you have for us this week, that we may honor you in all that we say and do. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.